Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. Episode 56, A Paper-Free Curriculum. I've been teaching for the best part of two decades, about halfway through my teaching career, so I, I seem to kind of these days hear more and more about people's retirements uh, rather than anything else. And often you hear of someone retiring and you hear the priest, um, and yes, it's it's usually a priest, giving some sort of eulogy, um, <laughs> for, for, for want of a better word. And yet, yes, I know they're not dead, uh, but I really can't think of a better word than eulogy right now. Um, uh, maybe, maybe sermon is a better word, even if it isn't the right word. Anyway, but I'm struck by the ones where they say, Something that'll go along the lines of Mary, and um, remember, they're always called Mary, uh, was born in the neighbouring parish of Jimmy Go Somewhere and graduated from the St. Jesus of the Assumption Teacher Training College, or maybe Carrisford is that proper name for that one, I think, um, and moved to this parish where she began her teaching career in St. Patrick's National School, met her husband John, or Patrick, or John Joe or John Joe Patrick, who's always a local guard, and she stayed in St. Patrick's National School for her, her entire 40-year career. Now, I'm very old, or I'm not very old, I'm oldish anyway, but I don't think I'm old enough to think that this is normal. Um, how could anyone stay in the same job straight out of college for 40 years? I mean, surely there will be some bit of a thing inside you that might want to know what life would be like outside of the parish. Now, what this has got to do with becoming a paper-free school, I'm sure you're wondering. But listen on, and I'll try and convince you that if I were the Minister for Education, I would try and have a paper-free curriculum. Hello, hello, you're very welcome to episode 56 of If I Were the Minister for Education. This is Simon Lewis. My first job after teacher training college was in a very large convent school. I mean, a very, very large convent school. And I often talk about my experiences there um, from a religious point of view. Uh, but, but today I'm going to focus on something different. Um, in fact, it was probably even more hated by me and probably everybody else teaching in the school. And that thing was the photocopier. It wasn't so much that the photo, uh, you know, it was the photocopier itself. I mean, it worked very well, um, you know, that never broke down, really. It was this yoke that was actually attached to the photocopier and it was a card machine. And in order to use the photocopier, you had to buy a, a special card, a photocopying card from the office and it would give you um, credits for photocopying. And each copy was seven cent. I, I kid you not. Uh, I'm guessing before I got there, it was 5p uh, per copy. And given that 6.34 cent is an impossible amount of money to, to spend and rounding it down wasn't going to happen, 7 cent seemed to be the agreed price by the time I got there to photocopy a blank and white sheet of paper. Now, I can imagine the staff meeting that happened when this was decided. There were, you know, uh, to be honest, I'd say it was great fun uh, when that was announced. But there, was, there were three things that I really hated about this photocopier okay and, and the, the system first obviously it was the price itself I mean seven cent for a photocopy to me was and still is to be honest completely extortionate um, I also hated the fact that if I'd made a mistake when I was photocopying I was down at least seven cent um, that was if I made one 
copy. Uh, that was a mistake. And we were advised to always just make one copy to test before we did a big run, just in case we'd absolutely messed up. And the third thing that I hated was the cards came in denominations of 20 euro. And this was a real pain for me. Um, uh, and maybe it was my maths uh, brain that really didn't like this because it meant you were always left with five cent that couldn't be used once you'd made your 285 copies because that was 19 euro 95 spent and you couldn't really do anything with the five cents um now i i've been out of dublin for a long time now but when i used to live there um if you didn't have the exact change when going on the bus you get a paper receipt um from the bus driver you know let's say the ticket was i can't remember what it was but let's say it was um 95 cent to go from somewhere to somewhere and uh, you only had a euro coin you give them the euro coin and they give you your ticket in this five cent strip um and you could bring that strip to o'connell street to their head head depot to get your money back and i remember um probably just to make a point uh, i'd imagine uh keeping a load of five cent change tickets for a couple of months and then going especially into town to trade in my tickets for something like, I don't know, a euro and 30 cent. And the woman behind the screen in the bus errand depot or the, I'm sorry, Dublin bus depot, just looking at me with, with absolute pity. Um, if I remember correctly, I think I spent uh, my my money on a, on a one euro burger in McDonald's. So um, I had the last laugh anyway. Uh, however, anyway, with these uh, photocopying cards, you couldn't trade in that last five cent for real money. And I thought he doesn't actually have a McDonald's. So what would I have done with my uh, traded photocopier cards anyway but that aside um i'm sure you're probably wondering by now if i'm ever going to get to the point of this episode or if i'm going to continue to ramble like an old man who never left his parish school the point of telling you all this um for far too long uh, to deserve uh, such a large introduction i suppose uh, but having this uh, seven cent per copy system in this school was completely normal to me because as far as i knew that's what every school did and when I left and I moved to a new school and I went into a new world where I could photocopy to my heart's content, um, I realised that what was happening before wasn't completely normal. Now, in this particular school, the principal used to send emails every couple of months asking everyone, will you just, just keep a check on your old photocopying? And um, I don't know, the poor creators that uh, spend their entire careers in one school must miss out on seeing the world from different perspectives. And... You know, you know, imagine the, a world where you had different ways of managing a photocopier. I mean, gosh, think, think of the of the limited lives you have if you haven't had that experience. But seriously, though, if you don't leave your school, it can be quite institutionalizing, really, in a way. And, um, you know, well, maybe they don't move because they get free photocopying. I don't know. Anyway, however, the consequence of this seven cent photocopying and the fact that I was more inclined to be spending my wages on food in, and basic necessities after, uh, you know, rather than photocopied worksheets for my class, I put into perspective uh, and just putting that into perspective for every worksheet I'd give to my class of 30 children, that would cost me two euros 70. So two worksheets was basically the cost of a pint in Celtic Tigers A's. And I decided I was going to try to make uh, try not to make that walk of shame to the office to buy photocopying cards from the school secretary who would likely give me the same pitying look as the woman in the Dublin bus headquarters. But who would have thought that this rip-off uh, of photocopying that even Eddie Hobbs would have been really proud of in his heyday was one of the best lessons I ever learned as to about how to have as paper-free a classroom as possible. 
I mean, who would have thought it could be argued that this photocopying scam was a precursor to sustainable goals? And if Greta Thunberg was born at the time, she would have been praising this school for their efforts for saving the planet. But to be serious for a moment, it really did make me think about the need for photocopying worksheets and the waste um, and the waste that, that, that was uh, made by them and what we might be able to do differently. I mean, the typical Irish classroom is awash with paper already. We've far too many textbooks, um, that's for another episode, um, but, and we also seem to have more copybooks than we have ever, ever used to have as well. I, I seem to see, not, not in my school particularly, but in, in lots of different schools, there seems to be a huge amount of copybooks going around, I don't know why. And adding a load of worksheets into the equation, while it might be argued could be a way to differentiate work for children, could be avoided. And what I'm going to try and spend the rest of this episode um, is by being helpful. This is an episode where I'm not going to rant about somebody or an organisation or something like that. I'm actually, it's going to be one of these very rare, hopefully helpful episodes. Um, and just to tell you what I did in the three years I was in this school and how I brought this attitude of not photocopying throughout my teaching career in every class I ever taught since. My aim isn't uh, to come across as preachy or to be heavy-handed um, about saving the planet, but it might be just worth thinking about. I mean, for example, um, 20 reams of paper, which, you know, if you look at 20 reams of paper, is the equivalent of one tree. And 20 reams of paper, while it might seem very high, um, it's about the average uh, maybe a 16-teacher school goes to a month. You know, that's quite a lot. So every year, a 16-teacher school kills 10 trees just from photocopying on average. And I guess we need to ask ourselves, is there another way we could do the same thing without using the photocopier? Now, before I begin, I know I'm being a tad aspirational here. I mean, our own government can't even send uh, paychecks without killing at least two trees a fortnight. Now, I'll get into that as well in a future episode. It's actually coming up quite soon. But for now, let's look at the classroom and let's see how we can make um, our classroom as worksheet-free or as paper-free as possible. I'm going to start off with the interactive whiteboard. Um, because this has been kind of a revelation in a way, or a revolution uh, in a way, for um, reducing the amount of photocopying that might be needed. And for me, it's I, I would describe it as the biggest revolution in an Irish primary classroom for the la in the last twenty years. People will, uh, will say what has been the greatest um, you know change uh, that someone from you know the past might recognise when they come into a classroom because classrooms look very very similar uh, over the last two hundred years. But the biggest single change, and I would say revolution again, was the interactive whiteboard back in two thousand and eight when it really took off. And not only has it become a basic piece of equipment in the classroom, it has huge potential for reducing paper in the classroom. And just as an aside, in 2008, I changed on Shaw.net, this web, the website that uh, I host this podcast on, into an interactive whiteboard review website. And at one point at that time, over one million teachers a year visited my website for advice on interactive whiteboards. Such was the interest in ensuring that every classroom in the country had one. Um, around 2009-2010, there were over 50 companies in Ireland selling 28 different brands of interactive whiteboard. And maybe, you know, <laughs> when I think of it, I, maybe I should have stuck to that instead of doing this podcast. I mean, I could have been head of the PDST technology section, you know. I'll probably be on my deathbed in the future kind of going, if only I hadn't made that podcast, I could have been something. I could have been the head of the PDST technology section. Anyway, I can... Um, 
you know, I can probably imagine myself taking that last breath and saying, if only I hadn't annoyed all those people and all those Quangos, I could be part of that system, agreeing with various ministers' bad political decisions, eating chicken dinners every day. Um, sorry, I said I wouldn't be giving out about things. Um, anyway, I didn't. And hence, you're one of the very few people listening to me telling you how you can save paper. I cook my own chicken dinners now myself. Anyway, when I was teaching in my seven cent photocopying school, there were no such things as interactive whiteboards. Um, we had one computer at the back of the classroom, which was covered with a tablecloth when I got in. However, the thing about the interactive whiteboard is that if you have a worksheet um, that you want to uh, give to the children, you can actually pop it up onto a big screen and children can complete whatever task there that is on, that intera- uh, on, the, um, on the screen into a copybook. Um, if that's possible. And looking at most worksheets these days, there's loads of them that could simply be put on a screen and children could respond in their copybooks or they could respond orally or in some other way. And then the majority of the ones that can't, there's a very strong possibility that they could be altered so the work could be done in a copybook. Um, but I'm jumping ahead of myself here. So let's start um, with looking at every subject in the curriculum right now. And uh, as uh, to make my life easier, we're going to start with the low-hanging fruits uh, that will be easy to be photocopy-free. So, let's start with music, drama and PE, because they're easy. Um, they're the subjects that generally don't require paper at all. And you may be in a classroom already where uh, you don't use any paper for music, drama and PE. Um, so, to be fair, it is much of a challenge. I'd say if I challenge you to never use a piece of paper in any of those three cla- uh, subjects for the rest of the year, you'd have no trouble whatsoever. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I, I don't think there's any point in going into that because, you know, it's, it's too easy. So let's move on to level two, a slightly more challenging territory. Do you think you could take on science without ever resorting to photocopied sheets? That's my question for you. And while I know science, and while we all know science isn't all about just doing experiments, because I'm not suggesting that, it is entirely possible to run the entire science curriculum without ever needing a worksheet, or a book for that matter. I'll add a caveat that the only paper you you might need, and I I will allow for this, is a copybook for recording observations or experiments or whatever it might be. And what I would do if uh, you're thinking about this, is I'd recommend uh, two resources that will give any teacher in sc- any teacher in any school everything they need to run the best science classes for the entire year without needing a single um, photocopied resource. Um, and f- you know maybe I'll give a third one as well at the end. First, an oldie: the Discover Science Packs. Um, they came out. Gosh, in the early part of this, uh, of the t- noughties there, um, their, their packs are still some of the best resources available for uh, basically weekly experiments that can be done any time. Um, I, I think they're probably the best resource if you're looking to do science experiments. The second one is a more recent publication in the last uh, year or two, uh, written by a principal, uh, Paul O'Donnell, called Wild Teaching, uh, Cross-Curricular Lessons Outdoors for Agoraphobic Teachers. It is one of the best books on outdoor teaching, uh, which covers a lot of science. It covers a a huge amount of the living things strand of the curriculum, but also integrates across the curriculum in many other subjects. Um, A possible alternative for that is Paddy Madden's Guides to School Gardens, which were published in the INTO's InTouch magazine over the course of a few years, um, and they are available online for printing and well worth um, doing something. Every month there's new tasks to do. And any gaps in the curriculum are generally, uh, this is my third uh, recommendation, sorry, I said two recommendations, I'm going to give you a third one, uh, uh, which is a website called Mystery Science, 
which isn't free, uh, but they do often give out free licenses. But it's one of the best science websites I think you're likely to find in the world. It's absolutely brilliant, mystery science. Um, if you have those three resources, I guarantee you, you will never need to photocopy another worksheet for science again. So there's science, see? Level two, uh, where I try and go on. I'm gonna move to the next subject here and uh, let's move to visual arts. Um, now it's also, I mean, you could say that's an easy subject because you could probably do, uh, probably say this is a subject where photocopying is rarely done anyway. Or maybe I should say it's a place where photocopying should never be done. Because the thing about visual arts is there's the visual arts curriculum and there's what we know teachers do in visual arts, um, which isn't really part of the curriculum. And I suppose what I'm saying here is the visual arts curriculum is still one of the most innovative, innovative curricula in, the, in primary schools, in my opinion. I think it's one of the best curriculum subjects. If you look at that book, um, it is one of the best curriculum um, subjects designed. I think it's amazing. And I, I, I you know, that I, I think if you've listened to this podcast enough, you know how critical I am of everything. I would, could, could, I would possibly say um, it is probably the strongest subject um, in, in the curriculum. It's brilliant. And when it's taught properly, it can be absolutely wonderful. I, I mean this. I love, I love visual arts, I suppose. And maybe I'm being biased here. I absolutely love teaching art and I really miss it since I've uh, been out of the classroom. Um, but unfortunately, since its inception, its greatest challenge has not been itself. It's a great curriculum. Its greatest challenge has been templates. And, you know, and, and, and I'll get into this in a, in a second, a, a bit more. I remember in my teacher training and I trained, I, I didn't even train in Ireland. Visual arts was treated with very little respect, if I'm honest. In fact, I would say it was one of the weakest training I ever had. And it wasn't until I qualified and I went on an evening course with Michael O'Reilly, who some of you may know. Um, for me, he is possibly the most important um, teacher um, uh, uh, when it comes to visual arts and quite a number of other areas. But particularly for visual arts, if Michael O'Reilly didn't exist, visual arts wouldn't be the curriculum subject it should be. Um, but after going on that uh, course, and I spent six weeks uh, with Michael O'Reilly on Michael O'Reilly's course, it wasn't until then did I actually start to understand that curriculum properly. And each week he took a different strand and showed us how to teach it. And it wasn't rocket science at all in any way, shape, or form. We didn't have to be great artists, and many of us there weren't great artists. Some of us were, of course. But it was absolutely mind blowing. And essentially, I mean, for me, was it's in its simplicity. You simply give a five-year-old kid a sheet of newsprint and a few sticks of oil pastels and ask them to create different types of lines. And watch what happens. You can guide them, kind of say, I want you to draw straight lines. I want you to draw dotted lines. I want you to draw silly lines. I want you to draw, you know, any kind of lines you want. And give them some, you know, and, and see what happens. And what happens is beautiful. It's amazing what a five-year-old will produce if you just let them and don't give them a template, a photocopied sheet, which they have to color in or, or follow, a, follow lines. Give them some blue and yellow paint and ask them to see what happens when you mix the colors in different blobs and just watch what unfolds. You're not telling them what to do. You're not saying we're gonna make green and now I want you to, uh, you know, you've made your green and now I want you to draw a house with all the, all the colors. See what they do. And there isn't a need for a single paper plate or a photocopy template. I just, I just don't understand why anyone would photocopy something for children to kind of color in or paint so, and then stick them all up outside the classroom. 
that's not art. Um, what it, the art is in the creativity of the child themselves with some sort of stimulus. Now, it could be a visual stimulus that you could put up on the interactive whiteboard. So you may be looking at, um, I don't know, George Surratt um, with uh, and and then uh, get kind of like those dotted uh, paints. It picks, um, oh gosh, it's a pixel, pixelized paintings. I can't remember the exact uh, terminology, uh, but um, you give them a stimulus and let them off, see where they go. And the other thing I, I, I just can't understand is what, I mean, even if you don't photocopy um, templates onto photocopy paper, what is it with using photocopying paper for visual arts? Yes, I know it's a nice size in terms of space and it, you can hang up the pictures nicely, but newsprint is so much better for visual arts, in my opinion. It's so much more absorbent to paint and it's so much cheaper. Um, and if you haven't done a course in teaching visual arts, I'd really, really highly recommend it. I know I'm going on about visual arts a bit longer than I'd hoped to. Number one, you'll save a fortune in photocopying. And number two, your class are going to produce so much more beautiful and interesting work in visual arts. And they'll learn so much more about skills in visual arts. Um, SPHE is where things um, might get a little bit more difficult because um, in fairness fo some photocopying is probably unavoidable um, particularly as we have to now teach certain aspects of SPHE which require photocopying uh, such as uh, some of the sheets that are sent home to parents in the Stay Safe and RSE programs. However aside from work that has to be sent home SPHE is a subject that benefits hugely from the greatest resource of all. And I wonder if you can think what that greatest resource is. Yeah, the children. It's the children themselves. This is a class of circle times where children share their experience in a safe, shared environment. And with the help of a teacher or even an interactive whiteboard as a stimulus, this is where even a textbook isn't necessary. Despite the recent moves from textbook publishing companies to try and add SPHE books into their range of loads and loads of textbooks. We can, you know, moving on, just, just, I mean, moving to the side a little bit because uh, SPHE and ethical education programs, you know, there's a lot of correlation between them as, as, as you probably know. Um, and the same could be said for ethical education curricula and possibly even the various religious programs that uh, schools will have. And similarly to SPHE, it's the children's voices that are the best resource. And I'm just going to explain, you know, for example, I'm try, I'll try and... Um, you know, bring uh, an ethical education program and also a religious program into the same uh, paragraph. Um, but, you know, are children going to learn anything about Diwali, for example, if you're in an Educate Together school or a CNS school, um, about Diwali, by colouring in Rangoli, for example? Um, will they learn anything about Diwali, about that? Or what, or, you know, in a, in a Catholic school or a Christian school, are they going to gain any, any knowledge about Christianity by colouring a picture of Jesus being mutilated on a wooden cross, as disturbing as it should be for children to be learning about such things? Um, you know, consider the alternative of showing children pictures of Rangoli um, on the interactive whiteboard and integrate them into a visual arts class through the print strand or through paint and colour where they can actually create their own rather than using a photocopy cheat. And, when, and while we're looking at ethics and, and the environment, for example, uh, and I know uh, some of uh, people in Catholic schools, obviously you don't have ethics in the environment, but you, you can integrate it into certain aspects of geography and science, go outside and use Paul O'Donnell's book or discuss sustainable goals. You know, you could even set a challenge to your class about saving paper for example, um, when I'm absolutely, you know, and while I'm absolutely the wrong person to even attempt to advise anyone about teaching faith formation, uh, having to teach it for three years, you know, the same rules apply. You know, how about trying to reduce photocopial sheets and thinking of different ways of doing it? 
Now, I must say I've been going on my uh, going easy on myself so far. You might you might admit, uh, you know, you might be going, hey, Simon, what about your literacy and numeracy end of things? Come on, you know, get onto that stuff. Yeah, you're going easy. You're doing art. You're doing drama. You're doing music. You know, you yeah, yeah, fine. You did a bit of science. But come on, what about literacy and numeracy? Don't worry. I'll get to those. However, first I have to tackle some other subjects I haven't gotten to yet. And I'm going to move on to history and geography, which are the social sciences. And I'm going to take both of these on at the same time. Because both of these subjects are interesting to me. Because they're at serious risk, serious risk, of being taken out of the curriculum if they're not careful. And as you probably know at the moment, if you're listening to this at the time that this has been recording, the um, Department of Education through the NCCA are looking at reforming the curriculum. And with the government um, becoming obsessed with STEM and the arts people pushing to make STEM into STEAM, uh, so uh, if you check out, you know, Uh, what this means it could be bad news for these two subjects history and geography and where do those subjects fit into a new program that names science technology engineering arts and maths i mean technically it might be arts in the loosest definition of the arts uh, in primary education i mean history has already had to fight its corner at second level not to be removed uh, from the junior cycle at secondary schools but there's been absolutely no fight to stop history from basically being integrated into the English language curriculum. Now I remember, um, gosh I can't remember what it was, it was around 2004, uh, 2005, I could be wrong, it might be a year or two uh, before or after. I remember I was writing an SESE programme for a textbook publishing company that didn't get published in the end. Um, just, just as an aside, I did end up publishing a variation uh, of that programme with another company. But back when we were um, basically looking at this programme, 2004, 2005, um, the editor of that particular publication was basically trying to turn our history, geography and science uh, books into a literacy programme. There was all about this. Every section had to have this links to the English curriculum. And it didn't matter how, uh, because as far as he was concerned, and it actually was probably a bit later than the year I'm saying, because it was around the time where, you know, I think it wasn't the, P- the PISA results were out, but there was a big push for literacy to be integrated into everything. Um, but as far as he was concerned, Rory Quinn's, you know, literacy and numeracy strategy was going to mean that history and geography were going to be eaten up by literacy. Um, so if you check out any SESE book around 2010 to 2012, you're going to see literacy links everywhere. Um, you know, uh, have, have a look. I'm not going to name any textbook companies particularly, but um, if, if you know, have a look at anything that was published around 10 years ago and you'll notice there are literacy links everywhere. And the trouble for history and geography books, in my opinion, is they haven't evolved much from when I was in school back in the olden days in the 1980s, where my lessons consisted of the teacher saying, read the text and answer the questions. And basically they were reading comprehension books. And this was the main reason that myself and Roz set out to write an SESE program uh, that didn't do that. But if the truth be told, and I have to be, I, 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 always, I suppose I have to be honest uh, with these things, it did kind of feel like the majority of teachers were happy enough with the reading comprehension style workbooks, or, and they either weren't interested in the practical aspects or didn't have the resources to support or support or training to do uh, the, these kind of things in the history and geography. Maybe that's me a little bit judgmental. And I'm sorry for, for, for that. Um, but it does make it quite hard to give good suggestions for these two subjects. Essentially, there's two different ways to teach history and geography. And in either case, it's absolutely possible to do it without a photocopier. Um, your interactive whiteboard is going to be your friend in both cases. Um, you know, you're going to be able to bring children to certain areas virtually, um, kind of like 
um, you know Bosco's magic door. Um, if the, if, you, if people remember Bosco, the, you went uh, you you kind of uh, went to the magic door, and when you opened the magic door, it brought you uh, somewhere uh, virtually uh, on the TV. I mean, it was generally always Dublin Zoo, but you know. In, your interact whiteboard can bring you anywhere in the world, basically. Um, and uh, if you if you find the resources on YouTube or Google Maps or Google Expeditions or whatever it might be. And I'm honestly not being sponsored by Paul O'Donnell, um, but this is the third time I'm going to recommend his book uh, as a way to support some of the geography curriculum. I'd also suggest schools either make or invest in weather measuring in, measuring instruments. Uh, get kind of uh, those uh, those resources if you can. Uh, that's very useful as well to have them in your school and in your uh, in your yard. Um, and in terms of map work, um, what about Google Maps? Um, I mean, throw away those atlases, guys, and, and get your Google Maps uh, on your interactive whiteboard. Now, I understand technology isn't a given in a classroom, but I would argue that geography could be completely revolutionized by Google Maps at all. You could well, I wouldn't say you can teach the entire uh, geography curriculum through to Google Maps, but you can absolutely uh, teach a lot of the curriculum through Google Maps. You know, from plotting things to do in your local area to finding landmarks all over the world, you could teach, I mean, as I said, you could teach almost the entire curriculum through with Google Maps. For history, if you've children with attics in their houses, you pretty much have everything you need to teach history at primary level, as well as objects from the past that can be explored by, um, you know, children bringing in things that, 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 that might be in their attics. There's no need for any paper when exploring the ancient past. And again, your interactive whiteboard will come to the rescue there. However, if you are sticking to the idea of Go on, read the text now and answer the questions. But give them the textbook and a copybook. And I guess, you know, at least you're not photocopying either there too. So let's uh, let's let's get into the literacy and numeracy then. I think I'll start with maths. Do you know the way when you're teaching junior infants? If you're a junior infants teacher, you will. Um, you hardly ever ask the children to put pencil to paper when you're teaching maths. It's all about manipulatives. It's all about sorting and matching and... Uh, all that kind of stuff and it's basically the same in senior infants I suppose as well but then all of a sudden towards the end of first class or maybe you know at the end of senior infants it's like there's this unwritten rule that sorting bears and county blocks are no longer cool and it's pretty much lists of sums and worksheets after that now I'm exaggerating obviously but uh, because obviously you know teachers do use uh, manipulatives all the way through primary schools but there is a point where you know worksheets start becoming more and more um, prevalent. Um, and I don't know, the, the focus kind of moves from being con to concrete sort of methodologies to abstract um, when it comes to maths, you know, following formulae and then drill and practicing them all on worksheets. And often it's, it's those books with lists of maths problems. Uh, but more so these days, there's ready-made um, worksheet makers for almost all aspects of the number strand, at least of the curriculum. And what I'm kind of suggesting now is to remember your inner infant teacher when it comes to maths. Where there's a possibility of using concrete objects, you should do that. Forget the photocopied sheets. Think of a, a concrete way of teaching the same concept. You don't even need to have fancy fancy things to you know in your classroom. You don't need to be terribly fancy to say, say paper. For example, instead of giving a worksheet of, of maths facts, give a pair of children two dice and if you can get, you know, like, basically give them just two dice. And if you get dice marked one to ten, that's great. If you only get six-sided ones, like most normal people can, mark, change the, 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 the dice 
to have, you know, seven, eight, nines and tens on them a, a little bit and then get the kids to roll the two dice and record the multiplication, multiplication fact in your copybook if you want. Or better get them to not write them down, play with a partner and get them to test each other out without writing a single thing down. So I'll roll my two dice, it lands on a two and a four. Okay, two, two multiplied by four is eight. And they just say it to each other and they can correct each other or even have a group of four or whatever it might be so they can all be judging each other and working out. They don't need to write a single thing down. Um, but um, if you're doing subtraction with renaming in second class, get out your transition boards and Dean's blocks out and you're done. You don't need to write stuff down uh, on worksheets for this. You get, you know, just get your, get, get these basic uh, things. Non-number strands are best with measuring tapes, tangrams, rulers, compasses, weights, uh, money and so on. You know, you don't need worksheets. I loved teaching maths back in, back, back in the day and I always tried to teach, you know, I always tried out lots of different ways not to give out worksheets because of course of my seven cent problem but even after that. And with interactive whiteboards and even classroom devices now becoming the norm in classrooms, it's never ever been more easy not to need paper in maths classes. If you can kind of keep a rule really, embrace the concrete and use abstract sparingly would possibly be my advice for what it's worth. So finally we come to English and Irish, the two uh, last subjects, the literacy subjects. So surely I'm going to make an exception, am I? You know, I'm, I, I'm surely going to make an exception. And you're damn right I'm not. Similarly to every other subject above, either of the language curricula can be covered without worksheets. Now granted there are certain topics or classes that do benefit from a worksheet. I'm not saying throw the baby out of the bathwater or whatever it is, I don't know. The, uh, but uh, I'm really bad with cliches, I really should learn them so I could get them right. Is it, you throw the baby out with the bathwater? Maybe, maybe I am right for once. But every class shouldn't need a worksheet. I mean, think of phonics in infant classes. You know, many many schools are still using Jolly Phonics as their main resource, let's say, in, a, in, a, in their phonics class. And it's a worksheet factory. Um, however, looking at the worksheets, to be fair, there isn't much in them that couldn't be replaced with a bit of creativity. For example, I often see wor uh, worksheets where the child's told to circle all the items with a, with a particular sound, like let's say, ah, circle all the ah sounds, and you've got a picture of an ant, you've got a picture of an apple, you've got a picture of a, uh, a banana, and they have to circle the ant and the, and the uh, apple and not the banana or whatever it might be. But a replacement for this would be go into your classroom cupboards and you, you know, in Astro, you've got all these small world things and there's loads of different weird things that you've got, like, you know, picture, you know, they're not pictures, they're, they're um, you know, little toy animals or little toy um, soldiers or little toy people. And, you know, they can be the things that have, um, you know, just throw a load of those things on the table and get the kids to sort out the ones with the sound that they're focusing on. Um, you know, that's as good as circling stuff in a worksheet. I, I taught first class for more, you know, more than any other class in my career. And um, so we did loads of early phonics work with them or, or sort of, uh, you know, CVC kind of phonics work with them. And I had a routine when we were covering phonics, um, you know, for the day. We did 15 minutes, 20, 15, 20 minutes of phonics every day. And on day one, I'd, I'd have flashcards, which I'd make and I'd have laminated and I'd keep them forever. I think they're still, I think 20 years on, like I still have uh, some of them stored in the, in the school. I think some, some I, I don't know if I, my teachers are using them, but they're there in classrooms. And I had a routine anyway. 
I'd make the flashcards with whatever rhyme we were doing or whatever CVC thing we were doing or whatever kind of thing we were doing. And for the next two days, we played games with those flashcards. Um, so the kids might sit in the middle of the floor and we'd, uh, I'd, you know, we'd sit in a circle and we'd go around in a circle and I'd call out, I'd give them a clue and they'd have to find the word that I was thinking of or whatever it might be. Um, we might just play a, you know, a definition game or whatever it might be. You know, there was just a game. We had a list of games that we played and they were the first two days. Um, and uh, after that, uh, on the, um, it, so the Monday we kind of go through the words Tuesday and Wednesday we'd go through the games Thursday we'd kind of sorting games with the flashcards and then on Friday we tried out some sentences using the words that we'd learnt and it worked really well for the years that I used it and as the children got uh, got older and textbooks became more comprehension based much like the history and geography books there are ways to avoid those worksheets again and your interactive whiteboard again can be your best friend as well. Um, just moving on to Irish a little bit, uh, for Irish grammar in older classes, I've really seen innovative uh, ways that uh, worksheets aren't needed. Um, uh, such as, you know, using your windows with, uh, with chalk paint uh, to, you know, list various, you know, grammar points that you're trying to do. Um, and, and, you know, there's similar ideas that you'd find in the English curriculum as well. So that I, that I listed above. Just kind of simple kind of things. Um, Look, I don't want to, I mean, I'm going on for over half an hour here, uh, so I don't want to labour the point. But I mean, I think, you know, I've covered every subject. I haven't gone into a huge amount of detail there, but I mean, any of the ideas I've given in subjects can be integrated through all the other subjects. So I hope it kind of gives you a little bit of a, a you know, a few ideas. I, I probably laboured my point about not using the photocopier. Um, but, you know, I've given maybe some examples of things that I used to do when I was teaching back in the olden days. Um, and while the internet has brought us more opportunities to print out photocopial sheets, I'd highly recommend that before you stick uh, the page into the feeder of that photocopying machine, you might think um, if there is another way for the children to learn whatever lesson is on that sheet of paper by doing something else. Now, I'm not saying that we should stop using worksheets completely, but as a general rule, we should treat worksheets like fashion designers advise us to think about clothes. I, I often hear fashion uh, designers Actually, I don't often hear fashion designers. I think I've probably heard a fashion designer saying this once. Um, but <laughs> uh, there, um, I often, I, when I, when I, when I've heard, what, what kind of stuck with me was, you know, um, they talk about buy, justifying, you know, buying expensive clothes. Because I mean, there's this kind of movement towards um, not buying expensive clothes. And uh, you know, for example, if you go to these cheaper retails where you can buy a t-shirt for four euro, um, but they talk about this idea of cost per wear. So in other words, if you go to a cheap shop and you buy a t-shirt for four euro you might only get 10 wares out of it before it falls apart so that's about 40 cent per wear however if you spend 20 euro on a t-shirt and it lasts for 100 wares well that's only 5 cent per wear so i think that's what they're kind of get on so in the same way as if you do have worksheets or you have to have worksheets try not to have single use worksheets if you really have to use them try not to set, give something that will only be used once try and use something um, anything that you print out for a class a few times and while it isn't easy to do that It'll, number one, it'll probably save you a fortune if you're in a school that asks you to um, uh, pay for photocopying. And it will, I suppose, help save a lot of trees. I think it's um, worth mentioning again how technology has made uh, all of this much easier than it ever was, despite the fact that technology is a very culprit for the array of choice of single-use worksheets out there. The interactive whiteboard is a great tool for displaying work and it can be done orally or written in a copybook. Um, another thing is a, a visualizer that might be an, an interesting tool. It can magnify any page onto a big screen so the children can see it if, you, if you're not able to, um, for example, find something to put onto an interactive whiteboard. Uh, you can use an visualizer to um, show um, a worksheet on a big screen. 
iPads, Chromebooks and other devices can also give a paper-free experience to children. And uh, as I talked about, uh, YouTube uh, is it's basically like Bosco's Magic Door, if you can remember that far back. And it's a great stimulus for all sorts of things. Now, I have to say it's been a while since I've written a podcast episode, as I said, where I'm not ranting about something or someone. So I do hope you found this episode useful. And if you found if you have any other ideas about how we could reduce the amount of photocopying, because I think in the in this world where we're trying to be uh, sustainable and so on, I don't think it would be a total waste of time to share our ideas. But I suppose really, I suppose it's this is one episode where I haven't given out about uh, the Department of Education. I haven't given about the unions. I haven't given out about representative bodies. Um, so in a way, um, this is a nice episode where I suppose I can say if I were the Minister for Education this time, I would do something nice and strive for a paper-free curriculum. So I hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode and be sure to tune in every Friday evening for our next episode. This podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any other podcasting app by searching for either on Shaw.net or if I were the Minister for Education. I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release. And if you do subscribe, you will get it a little bit earlier than Friday at 5.59. Please also feel free to review this podcast so others can find it more easily. Thanks to uh, everyone who's reviewed it so far and it's great to see uh, the podcast featuring in the top 10 education podcasts in Ireland and we've even reached New Zealand uh, uh, which is uh, wonderful and very nice as well so thanks so much for that so that's it for me this week thanks a million for listening and uh, hope you enjoyed it and we'll catch you again next week all the best bye bye